Father God, thank you um, for your wonderful word, your life-giving word through which you uh, speak. Um, you reveal yourself and your a great unfolding plan of redemption in Christ, um, salvation for the world that's turned against you. Uh, we pray that today um, you would do your work through your word, by your spirit. Um, please soften our hearts that we will hear uh, everything you have for us today and uh, accomplish what you will for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, and there he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and they each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call to your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will, be, and it will become calm. It is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have, made, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord for the vows made for him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Reading from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Jesus calms the storm. That day when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. 
Leaving the crowd behind, he took him, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, I'm sure you can see the parallels between those two passages. And uh, they re- it, it's really dramatic stuff, isn't it, what, uh, what we're seeing here. Uh, please keep the Mark reading open in front of you and we'll, uh, we'll spend a bit of time looking at that. Let me begin with prayer. Our Father, as we look at your word, we pray for insight uh, for our minds and our hearts. We pray that you would help us to, to, to know what we need to know about you and about ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you seen the movie The Perfect Storm? Do we have the slide for that? Yeah, there it is. Uh, It's a story of a bunch of fishermen and a very nasty bit of weather. Uh, In the movie, George Clooney's character is down on his fishing luck and he sets out with a crew against the advice of the Weather Bureau and pretty much everybody. What happens is that there's these two storms converging and then there's the hurricane and they're caught out in the open sea in what they call this perfect storm. And even if you've seen the trailer but not the movie or even if you've just seen the image behind me but not the movie, you, you, you will have seen this giant wave that is formed. It's as big as a multi-storey building and the fishermen have no choice but to head directly towards the wave and to try to ride over it. And in the movie, you can see the the, the look of raw fear on their faces. But also there is this anger at Mother Nature, as George Clooney's character refers to her. And and in fact, when he sees this wave, he actually swears at Mother Nature. And you've got these tiny human beings, just a speck in this great ocean of power and fury they're no, no match for this monstrous unbalancing of the wind and the waves, and they know it. Courage and the proud delusion of immortality that sent them out on this expedition will only take them so far. Our gospel reading for today is also the story of a bunch of fishermen and a very nasty bit of weather. Mark, the writer, doesn't have the benefit of Hollywood special effects to spice up the story. Next slide, please. And yet that's not his style anyway. His focus in the retelling of this is to point out various crucial details as well as some of the emotional reactions. And the whole story is just told in seven short verses and yet all the information is there to bring us face to face with Jesus and the elements. Mark begins by setting the scene. It's been a long day of teaching and Jesus and his disciples leave the crowds behind. Jesus wants to head to the other side of the lake and so they travel by boat. Presumably Jesus is exhausted because he falls asleep 
on a cushion in the back of the boat and almost sleeps through what Mark calls a furious squall. This sudden violent weather is not uncommon for Lake Galilee. Mark tells us that the waves were breaking over the boat and so that it was nearly swamped. And you've got to think about it. It takes a lot to frighten seasoned fishermen. And so as we look at this passage, we come to a series of interactions. And the story kind of revolves around these interactions. And there are, there are three basic interactions, and we're going to look at each of those interactions in turn and then um, think about what it, what it says to us. So the first interaction is the big question. These seasoned fishermen are terrified enough by this storm to wake Jesus up. They are stupefied by his sleeping. How can anyone sleep through this? How could sleep even be possible at such a stressful time? Our lives are in danger. Maybe this whole situation doesn't actually stress you, Jesus, but it certainly stresses us. And so they blurt out what they're thinking. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Are there times when you have wondered that same question? God, life is difficult for me at the moment. I feel like I'm sinking. Don't you care if I drown? Perhaps it's stress or worry, anxiety. Maybe there's deep sadness over events or just a sense that life is a bit crazy and out of control, a sense that it's all too much. Maybe despair over a relationship or a series of relationships over events of your past. Worries over your identity, your reputation perhaps. Your financial situation. Maybe more than a few times you have thought, it's all too much for me, I, I can't handle this. I don't know if you've ever vocalised it the way the disciples did, but their circumstance was severe and it was urgent and it was desperate. Lord, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care, Lord, if I sink under the weight of this? Does it bother you, God, that I seem to be sinking? Did you notice that I seem to be sinking here? Because you don't seem to be doing anything about it. I'm not seeing any big changes. I'm not seeing it kind of working out, obviously. Have you ever thought this? Have you, have you prayed and wondered why there doesn't seem to be an answer? Or have you already given up on him and not spoken to God about your sense of sinking? That's the first interaction, the big question. Don't you care if we drown? The second interaction is around two rebukes. It's kind of a two-point interaction. First of all, Jesus has a rebuke for the weather. He gets, it's a funny, funny expression, isn't it? He gets up from his cushion, he stands in the boat, and he yells at the wind and the waves. Hey, 
one of my, my little boy Charlie is, um, he has a, a, ra a number of disabilities and one part of that picture, that disability picture, is that he has trouble processing sensory information. You know, for him it's like he, he's not able to filter the things that he needs to focus on from all of the rest of stuff. So there's this kind of barraging of, of sensory information on him. And so um, <clears throat> for Charlie, loud noises and particularly um, and, and various particular physical sensations are experienced by him as pain. So what I might find a little annoying seems to hurt him. In particular, he hates the wind. He hates it. And we'll be walking along and the wind will suddenly blow or you, you know, you wind the, the, the window down. I almost did this for winding the window down in the car, didn't I? It's like, you wind the window. It's a funny, funny verb, isn't it? Wind. Um, wind the window down and all of a sudden, uh, you know, the wind will come into the car and he yells at the top of his lungs, no wind, stop. And of course, we can wind the windows, wind the windows up uh, or try to distract him. But one thing we cannot do is stop the wind. But when Jesus yells, no wind, the Sea of Galilee goes calm. Mark puts it very simply. He says, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Wow, what just happened? Imagine. I'm sure you've been in an aeroplane in severe turbulence. You know, if the whole aircraft is being thrown around and it feels like it's completely out of control, you, you actually get to the point where you can't, you're not sure if you're still moving forward. And, you know, maybe it just drops by 100 metres suddenly. And you, you don't even know if, the, if you're about to fall out of the sky. Imagine that one of the passengers suddenly stands up during this, you know, great experience and suddenly yells at the turbulence and then everything suddenly goes from complete chaos to total order and control. plane just goes calm. In an instant, something extraordinary has just happened. But back to Lake Galilee, it's not over yet. There is a second rebuke. You see, Jesus turns from yelling at the weather and he faces his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Wow. It's not Jesus who has misunderstood the situation, who needs waking up as if this situation is somehow undefeatable. Actually, these men have grossly overestimated the storm and they've grossly underestimated the man asleep in the back of the boat. In this circumstance, their fear was wrong. It was wrong fear. And Jesus tells them off for it. It might be natural fear, it might be understandable fear, but Jesus rebukes them for it. It's curious, isn't it? Fear and faith in life, they seem to be in this ongoing tussle. And whenever faith gives way to fear, we lose touch with reality. Because the reality is that God is with us and he is protecting us and he is guiding us through life. 
and it's often a bumpy ride. But as fear rises up in us, it pushes faith out of the way and it pushes God out of the picture. And our fears become the only thing that we can see and Jesus is rebuking them for that. God is with you. Don't fear your circumstances. Perhaps he's saying that to us as well. Well, the third interaction then is corrected fear. And verse 41 shows us this. Mark says, They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So now it's not, they're not interacting with Jesus per se. They're, they're in the boat talking with each other and they're vocalising their newfound realisations. Who is this standing over there in the boat who just did that? Who is this? Now we had the other reading from uh, the story about the prophet Jonah who's trying to run from God and God used the storm, the storm at sea to call him back. And Jonah, as he's asleep in the back of the boat and he gets roused by the captain saying, don't you know what's going on? Aren't you going to do something about this? Well, Jonah knows that God has brought this storm and that God has a purpose, some mysterious purpose that he doesn't really follow at this stage. But he knows that the only possibility is for, the, for, the, for survival of the ship is for the other men to throw him into the water. And so they reluctantly lob Jonah overboard and immediately the storm stops. The key thing here is God was in control of the elements. Who's running this show? God is doing this. And here back to Galilee, the disciples in the boat ask, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They're thinking about what they know from the Old Testament about God's power over the sea. And they're starting to ask the right questions about Jesus. He's not just an inspirational guy. He's not even just a prophet. He's not even just a holy man. He has just done what only God can do. And so in their minds, they're doing the maths. And did you notice how Mark describes the feelings that they are expressing as they do this maths? You can see this tick, 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 clunk, clunk, all the bits and pieces are moving and the feelings are intense. Interestingly, they started off terrified in the storm and now here they are again terrified. The actual feelings haven't changed. What's changed is the direction of their fear. Their fear has been corrected It's not the weather anymore that terrifies them. It's the man standing in the boat. They know who this is. God has thrust his presence into their faces. Undeniable, unavoidable. And he has said, I am real and I am with you. And the right response to that is fear, properly directed fear. You see, faith and fear are not actually opposites. They're often in a tussle, but they're not opposites. Faith 
in God and fear of God are actually very closely related. This shouldn't surprise us. The Bible tells us hundreds of times to fear God. Not fear him as you might fear the uncertain circumstances of life or the way you might fear an abusive person. This isn't about living in fear of your circumstances. But what is the right reaction to a sudden awareness that the one who holds your life in his hands is right there with you? What's the right reaction when you suddenly realize that? That the one in control of the whole universe is so close to you that he can hear the whispers not only of your mouth, but the whispers even of your mind. He's so close. What's the right reaction? Awe and reverence. Corrected fear. For this close-up God who listens to you is also a consuming fire. He is a storm smasher. You're safe in his hands because he is the source of love and grace and mercy. But it doesn't change the fact that they're his hands you're in. The God of incomprehensible power and authority. They're his hands that you're in. He can calm the storms of your life. He can heal your wounds. But he can also cast you off if you reject him. If you walk away from him. It's his hands you're in. Well, to wrap up, I'd like, to, I'd like to, to wrap up by asking another question. They say it's a bad idea to try and get people to think too much towards the end of the sermon. But I'm, I, it's an important question I want to ask you to do. So get those thinking caps back on. Here's the question. Did the disciples need to wake Jesus up? You know, they wake him. He does the miracle. Uh, and then he rebukes them for having no faith. Wouldn't, wouldn't the most faithful thing have actually been just for them to sweat it out and not wake him up? You know, just to know that they'll be okay. He's right there with them. Well, you know, in some ways I think the answer is no, they didn't need to wake him up. They were always going to be safe with him in the boat. But I think there's more for us in this. And I want to just dive for a moment into that. I don't think Jesus was at all upset about being woken up, you know, as if his sleep is precious or something. But, but the question is, what, what was it that they said as they woke him? They said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? It's a bit rude, I guess, but it's a, you know, it's a frantic situation. We can let them off for a bit of abrupt speech. But I think it's, it seems to me that there's something important missing in what they've said in, the, in, the, in their confrontation to Jesus. I reckon that they actually know that he has the power to do something about this storm. After all, he's done other miracles. They have woken him up after all. They, they reckon he can do something. But I think what's missing is a conviction that he wants the best for them. What's missing is a conviction that he actually cares about them. That he actually wants to look after them and protect them. I think they're struggling to believe that God loves them. 
And you know, I think, I think we struggle to believe that God loves us too. I think we often go on our little, through our little storms and we, we kind of forget that. I think for us to have faith in God, we need more than just a belief in his power. We need to believe in his kindness, in his love and his grace. Believe in his fatherly desire to look after his children. I actually think Jesus did want them to wake him up, just as he does want us to pray when we're in trouble. Not just to carry it on our own in silence, stoically. And when you pray, to remember that he hears you and that he loves you and that he is determined to bring about the best for you. You know, quite likely, he will take you through a range of storms in your life or he has taken you through a range of storms in your life. It's very likely Some of you may be in one of these storms right now. And you may resonate with that cry, don't you care if I drown? And if that's how you feel, and if that's the only thing that you can say to God, then then be honest with him and say it. But I think he also wants us to grow in our faith through the struggles that we have. Remember that he is good that he loves you. Entrust yourself to the promises of the Bible that God will forgive you, that God will sanctify you, make you holy and perfect and beautiful in every way, that God will raise you from the dead, that God will restore you to himself and to each other and to lost ones, that God will wipe away all, fear, all tears, that he will destroy death forever, and in the meantime, work all things together for good to bring about his amazing purposes for your life. In recent times, our family has faced quite a few significant challenges. We just flew back into Adelaide last night after spending the week with uh, some of my extended family in Sydney. One of the members of the family has really been doing it very tough and the ripples of that have been sort of spreading out and affecting all of us. And there have been some moments where we have really been tempted to ask this question, don't you care if we drown? But this has become, I guess miraculously in some ways, this has become a real family of united prayer over recent weeks. What started off as a bunch of spontaneous SMSs, text messages saying, we'll be praying about this, you know, we'll pray too, praying now, all that kind of stuff. It started off that way, but it's now become a more formalized chat group with regular updates of things that are happening and a whole lot of Christian family members and friends committing together to specific and timely prayer for the situation. And you know what? Every single prayer has been answered. 
Even prayers that were prayed long before this all emerged have been answered. We're kind of just walking, you know, um, on clouds or something. We, we're just in awe at how God has been working uh, through his people, literally changing what many would say are unchangeable circumstances. You know what? God is doing what only God can do. He's calming the storm. Every storm is different, but Jesus is there in the boat with you. And when you're tempted to think that he doesn't understand your struggles, that God doesn't seem to answer your prayers, he doesn't seem to care if you drown, remember Jesus. Abandoned by all. Left for dead by the human race. Actually, no, much worse than that. Murdered by the human race. He knows what it feels like to be sinking. And yet he came to save the human race. That's why he's there in the boat. He came to calm the biggest storm of all. The breakdown of relationship between us and God. Try weathering that storm on your own. Jesus came for that storm to calm it. You can trust his goodness and love. He most definitely does care if we drown. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that we talk to you uh, in the intimacy of this room, uh, in the intimacy of our own minds, because you know our thoughts, you know our feelings, you know our fears, where they're, where they're directed wrongly and where they're directed rightly. Father, you know all of our storms, and we pray that whether they're storms past or present or future, that you would remind us that you're with us. Give us all prayerful hearts, prayerful mouths that speak to you, that direct our needs to you, that trust you, that know that you are good, know that you love us, know that you wish you want to protect us. And Father, give us always that clear memory of the great storm calmed at the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Help us to know that you indeed love us beyond our comprehension. And we pray for everybody uh, in particular struggle at the moment, that your mercy and your grace would be with them at this time. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.